Hi there, you're listening to the Poltercast, the Dutch politics podcast, where we bring you up to speed on all the political news and stories you need to know in the run-up to the Dutch elections. Calling in from Brussels, I'm Kasper Bruzewitz. And calling in from The Hague, I am Eugène Achterhoff. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the legacy of the controversial politician Pim Fortuyn. His rise meant a rude awakening from the comfortable politics of the 90s, while his death left a void that many parties have sought to fill ever since. So how did the Dutch political discussion change since that time? And what role do the parties that inherited his legacy play today? Dutch politics. It's about being honest. Well, you know, I think it is your good friends who have to tell you the truth now and then. It's about being ambitious. I'm pro-refugee, I'm pro-European, and that's the way I think the left uh, have to go. And it's about being confident. Almost half of the Dutch population agrees with me, whether you like it or not. And that is what makes it fascinating. Hey, Casper. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm well, I'm well. Are you excited? It's only a few weeks ahead and then uh, then we're there. Election we're almost, time. We're almost getting there. I've got my ballot in the mail the other day, so uh, I can actually I can actually already cast my vote. Yeah, I was wondering because yeah. how long like is there sort of a term that they give you? Do you need to have sent it before a certain it, date? Before the election date. As long as it's in before the election date, then uh then it's fine. Um So that can be counted after uh election night then. I guess no, I guess it needs to be in for the election and then they'll just throw it on the big pile. Actually, I, I have to show my ignorance here. I have no idea what happens, but I, I guess, you know, <laughs> once it re- is received, at, it needs to be re- at the vote counting place on the 17th. I mean, I'm going to send it off, um, you know, sometime right. in the next week. So it'll be in time. Well, I, I saw something in the news yeah. in the past week um, uh, about the uh, postal votes because the party for uh, the animals, a party that we haven't really discussed uh, yet, uh, one of the no. smaller parties uh, have sued. I don't. I'm not sure if they sued the state. I guess they did. Uh, I don't know who else you need to sue um, <laughs> because they wanted to, uh, yeah, expand the the postal voting uh, opportunities. Because now everyone who lives abroad and people above the age of seventy oh. can cast their votes via post, and they wanted, uh, yeah, they wanted that to be an opportunity for everyone. But the court uh, decided they don't need to change it. It's going to stay like this, right? Which I mean, if you ask me, I think postal voting is generally a good idea. And we've, like you mentioned, we have it for certain groups, but especially in the middle of a pandemic, you imagine that this might be a good thing, you know, not to have all these people go cram into the same voting, uh, voting booth. Um, so yeah, but, um, apparently they can't make it work then, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I also don't know what their real arguments are, but I think, Ooh. yeah, the fact that they can't make it work and that they believe that our voting procedures, uh, or that uh, the the measures that they took are are solid enough Fair. to not make yeah. it a super spreader event. Yeah. Hey, but speaking about the, the news, there was one thing that I wanted to talk to you uh, about, which sort of ties into something that we talked about uh, previously. Um, did you see that uh, the Green Left has officially asked uh, D66 to join their budding left-wing progressive alliance um, going into the election. Yeah, but it was uh, it was an open relationship the way I saw it because it was it was a question like they asked D66 if they wanted to join them together with the Labour Party. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, it was definitely a uh, yeah a uh, a multiple, you know, very open. But it's also something that's already off because D sixty six said no. So um, what's they, your take they, on that? Yeah. I, I I actually I so I haven't really re- uh, read up to it, but I I think it's an understandable decision. Like if we yeah. um, if we go back to our first episode where we already said, okay, so these are the possible <laughs> coalition outcomes. Yeah. Uh, so that's either going to be the the current coalition with D66 in it uh, and the two uh, Christian parties and then VVD, or it's going to be Purple Plus, then why should D66 already make a compromise with the left-wing parties in this possible Purple Plus coalition? Like, that's... Then they're going to... Like, what do they have left then to (laughs) to fight for at the negotiation table if they already, you know, gave in to all of the demands of the left wing. I absolutely agree. I mean, it makes complete sense for D66 not to, to do that. I think it also makes sense for the green left to suggest it because I think the of only course. way that they, that they That's see going... in. Exactly. The, the only way that they're going to enter into a coalition is if they already have this lockdown. And you need... The, VVD is going to need D66 to be in there for that other option. So if they've already linked themselves to the left, then there's no other way for the, to, to them to try it over the left. So I think tactical maneuver, um, bull choice didn't pay off. Um, so we'll have you know, to see what happens. I didn't really, um, well, something I didn't really think of before, but D66 is actually in quite a powerful <laughs> position, even yeah. though in the polls, they're not doing that well. Uh, but but <laughs> they're basically in charge of of making this coalition. If you look at it that way, yeah. Uh, of course, I mean, of course, the other parties can say no. We don't want to work yeah. together with the left wing. But if D sixty six were to say we only want to enter in a coalition if it is with uh, Labour Party and Green Left, we already got our coalition. Exactly. So it's, I it's, think, it's basically yeah. up to them to yeah. to decide. Yeah, I know, absolutely, and I think D sixty six will be quite popular. Uh, after the election is done, even if they're maybe not as popular as they once were with the voters. but Yeah, because let's talk about how they're doing before the elections, uh, <laughs> or maybe not necessarily yeah. them. But um, I think one of the biggest news uh, that we've seen over the last weeks is that, of course, there is this whole curfew uh, lawsuit. Um, but I think as a, as a consequence of not just that, but also the fact that we have this, um, how would you call these things? Like the... the uh, these online tests that can make you like that, that, that can help you or that can assist you by, with making your decision on who to choose for. Oh yeah. Like you've got loads of these sort of political compasses and these quizzes yeah. of trying to find place you, which, which party you should vote for. Um, I think, I think that the Dutch go crazy for these, like it's all season when they open up <laughs> and then they're like, I can vote like, and I can so, so many different ways. Like if I fill it in like this, I'm that party. And if I do it this, yeah, and I can show yeah. on a curve what. But think so, yeah. That's uh, but um, as a consequence of that, and at least that's that was one uh, analysis on it. I think the big news is that the VVD is uh, has been dropping a few seats in the polls. They're still uh, winning by a landslide, yeah. if if the way it looks right now. But I was about to say it's like they've dropped, and now they're only twenty seats ahead of everyone <laughs> well, else in the. Uh, not twenty anymore, but let's say like yeah. eighteen, nineteen. Yeah. But that that does suggest that, you know, even in a time of a pandemic and in a time of crisis, people still are looking for strong leadership. So therefore, uh, I think that's the main appeal of Mark Rutte right now. But because of these, these, like these quizzes, people might now actually start to, you know, reconsider their vote a bit just because they want to see where, like who 
stands closest to them politically, yeah. like on, on a political uh, spectrum. And obviously these, these, these tools are not perfect, but I do think there is probably for some people after they fill them in, they're in for a rude awakening for quite a surprise. It's like, oh, I thought I was sort of with these parties, but it turns out that I've got nothing in common with that party at all. So you actually do get a sort of mismatch between the appearance of a party and their actual substance, the actual things they stand for. And uh, I think another one that is relevant for today's uh, topic is that in the current polls, uh, the minor right-wing party, Yes21, uh, is is expected to make it, to make it into parliament. Yeah, and they have, you know, consistently over the last while showed up in the pool. So I think I'm now starting to lean. It's like, I think they might actually be credible to, uh, yeah, to actually make it into parliament. So when discussing the right wing of Dutch politics, I think there's one event um, in Dutch politics that is absolutely crucial to to talk about. And I guess that is uh, the murder of Pim Fortuyn on the 6th of May of 2002. You guessed it it right. I mean, I think at least, I, I, I don't know if you agree, but I can't, almost can't imagine that you don't because every time I think about where the right wing of the Dutch politics are and the parties that are on it, and I'm trying to explain that. I keep coming back to this period of Dutch history. Um, because I, I, think that, yeah. I, I think that Pim Fortuyn was uh, a, a pioneer on the right-wing spectrum of Dutch politics. I think that before <laughs> him, there wasn't really anyone who really stepped into this this empty space in, in the spectrum. Exactly. I think there was just the whole swath of Dutch of Dutch society that wasn't being represented before he stepped in. And it felt, almost feels like a different world. I think before Fortan, at least to my knowledge, migration wasn't a very pressing topic on the Dutch political agenda. And he introduced this as a concern. The same with with problems with with Islam, with radical Islam, uh, but also obviously the the arguably the Islamophobia that he brought to the table. This whole debate, while it was maybe simmering under the surface, that just wasn't an element or a conversation in Dutch politics at all. No, that, that's yeah, no, that, that no. I think that is I think that's a fair assessment. No. And maybe that was because before that it was the nineties. And let's face it, uh, even though it might not be historically accurate, uh, I think we all look back at the nineties as <laughs> this was the yeah. time when everything was fine in the West, like there was uh, no problem. Exactly, and in in many ways, the the Dutch had um, that moment with that assassination that, of the nineties ending, and it was also I I think what even ties that more strongly to that is and we mentioned it before we had a purple government in in the Netherlands, so very you know the liberal thing we've mentioned this this on a pre- previously. Um, and Fortan wrote a book about the problems with with purple politics. Um, so in many ways, sort of a rude awakening of of uh, the Dutch emerging from the nineties. Yeah. No. I, but yeah, I agree. I think that the the murder of of Pim Fortuyn is something that changed. Um, yeah, Dutch politics. Uh, and and in, but I do feel that the topics that he uh, introduced into the Dutch political arena. Um, I definitely think that we can trace back to the right wing now because, well, Pim Fortuyn was someone like he was a flamboyant leader, charismatic, 
uh, indeed, the, the, the things that you mentioned, anti-migration, anti, uh, the sort of fear of, of Islamization of society also from coming from his background as being, as being gay, um, yeah. which is something that we don't often see for, uh, on the right wing. Um, no, and I, I think interesting to mention there because it's also such a Dutch way of, of doing the right wing, you know, because, you know, LGBTI rights and, and that emancipation being so part of Dutch society and then being used in a very right wing in defense of, 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 of liberal values almost. Yeah, and, and uh, also in a way to sort of come with this intellectual style of, of debating, you know, yeah. and, that, and thereby sort of counter bringing this counterweight against this purple slash liberal um yeah wave that has ruled the netherlands for such a long time and this is something that i think we can definitely identify with uh at least one specific uh person on the right wing in dutch politics today yeah exactly and i think that's something that's still relevant today but before we get to today i think it's still important to to briefly revisit the moment just in the aftermath uh, of the assassination, because I think when Pim Fortuyn was murdered um, by uh, an animal rights activist uh, just before the, the elections, that left an enormous void in Dutch politics. And even though his party still ran in that election zone and came out of it big and even entered government, even though that didn't really last long, um, there was now an electorate in Dutch politics that I feel different parties have always struggled to cap recapture after uh, for time first awakened it. And I think all these ingredients that he brought to the table, you know, the, the, the Islam criticism, the anti-migration rhetoric, the anti-establishment uh, talk as well. I think that's very central to it. Um, those all stayed. Well, some other elements I think also got added like your skepticism being very important in that story. And um, later on, even further to the right, you know, veering into the alt-right, um, darker elements of, of those groups, and especially with the situation in the US evolving that further. Yeah, I, I think that if you look at what is what is left for your for the right-wing voters in the Netherlands today, um, yeah, they, they tend to focus on these topics, right? So, so yeah. uh, Euroscepticism being very much anti-establishment, yeah. uh, and then... I see some some differences there between the parties as well. Um, so obviously, I think um, we did, we mentioned the VVD Liberal Party of Prime Minister Mark Rutte before, mm -hmm. and I would describe them as center right. I think um, that's fair. Yeah, and yeah. everything right of the of the of the VVD is is like the the sort of voter that Pim Fortuyn attracted. And now I think there's two main players uh, in that scope of the. Yeah. or in that space of the political spectrum. And that is Geert Wilders, the leader of the Freedom Party PVV, charismatic leader uh, with his, with his uh, trademark <laughs> blonde haircut. And then we have the other one, uh, who is also charismatic, uh, Thierry Baudet uh, of Forum for Democracy. Who do you think is most yeah. flamboyant of these two? Well, that's a very difficult question to, to answer. Um, I think I have to, to say Thierry Baudet takes that. Um, and flamboyant is obviously one one way of saying it, and and as you mentioned, something that ties them back to to Pim. Um, but before we get into really discussing these parties in depth, I think there is something that's very important to mention with these parties that we just can't avoid, and that's the fact that these are not 
normal parties when you look at the Dutch political spectrum. Um, both, I would say, we had some of these before, but both represent ideas that are sufficiently outside of the mainstream of Dutch politics that I think it, it would be irresponsible of us not to mention that that's the case and how s- strange, in a sense, they are to um, the Dutch political system. Like we... Uh, mentioned in other episodes, yeah, there is sort of a social liberal consensus within yeah. uh, Dutch politics where almost all of the parties agree to certain standards. So almost all parties in the Dutch political landscape, uh, to some extent, like, yeah, they, they agree on, on topics as unemployment benefits, uh, you know, as, as an economic example, but also um, being pro-LGBTI plus rights. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily on these topics, but when it comes to this social liberal consensus Indeed, the PVV and Forum for Democracy quite often find themselves yeah. outside of the social liberal yeah. consensus. And yeah, I do think that's important to mention. Yeah. And and I think as well, I mean, this is another debate and many people have debated about this, you know, to the extent to which some of these parties in and of themselves, there is a debate to be had whether they are compatible with a democratic society. But I don't think for us now... It's really the best for, forum to have this debate at the moment. I think what's more interesting, um, just explaining Dutch politics going forward, what those issues are that they focus on, but also what different groups they represent in society. Because I do think, I mean, you alluded to it, is that even though we both place them sort of on the far right or the, the, the right wing of, the, of that spectrum, I think they represent very different groups um, of voters. Totally, yeah. totally. And yeah, I think... The, if we look at the main differences between the two parties, uh, I think it's it's the sort of voter that they are trying to attract. Where I see that the PVV is more f- focusing on the working class and uh, Forum for Democracy, perhaps a bit t- focuses a bit on a broader spectrum of society, but also very much has this intellectualist rhetoric. Yeah, and I think that's a main, like a, a core difference between these two parties. Exactly. And I think you could almost compare it. And I think it ties into their economy, their, their standpoints in the economy, mainly where you could almost say that the PVV is sort of fishing in the same pond that the Socialist Party is in many ways or former Socialist Party voters, not exclusively, but, but, but largely. And the Forum for Democracy, VVD voters, just, just low taxes, deregulated economy, that sort of vibe. So that's, I think, a clear difference. Uh, but there is another group that, um, that we should also uh, briefly address, I think, because it seems to be a trend on the right wing that, uh, for some reason, members of parliament uh, have the tendency to split off the right wing parties and to f- form their own party. Uh, and something similar happened with uh, Forum for Democracy, where uh, because of controversies that we, uh, well, <laughs> we can't avoid those, but I think we should get into those later. Um, a part of the Forum for Democracy uh, split off from this party and found their own party, Ja21, which uh, for translation purposes we will be referring to as uh, Yes21. So that gives us even another group to uh, have to identify and it remains to be seen where they stand. Exactly, no, for sure. I know I think there is a, a common theme to that because obviously the theme of, of breakaway parties in this spectrum this this part of the dutch political spectrum is is a continuing trend we've seen that after Pimford down we've seen the with these parties obviously uh geert wilders being a splinter of the vvd himself uh um used to belong there but i do think that is one part of it and i think that's usually motivated by people 
disagreeing with the extremes to which these parties sometimes go and saying morally I can't go with this, I'm going for something else. Um, and especially I think that's a recurring theme um, with now, I think, with the um, Yes21 Forum for Democracy. Um, because there is a debate, obviously, to be had about what kind of voters they appeal to. But I think there's one group in a particular, and I always see this with um, some Forum for Democracy supporters defending themselves as well. They say, well, we're not extremists. We don't have these, but we're conservative liberals or they, they, they believe in liberal conservatism. Yeah, and then and liberal here meaning yeah. meaning uh, being on the economic right, like a yeah, European exactly. being the, uh, understanding yeah. of the word liberal. Yeah, exactly. And and they seem almost. And I I have to say, quite honestly, I think there is only so far. If if you attract a certain group of voters of extremists, I think you do have a problem. Even if you say ah, I'm not part of that myself, I think there is a a problem with your party. But these people at least seem almost annoyed by the association because they say all that we want is essentially what the VVD has got to offer, but a little bit more conservative on um, social, cultural topics. So they want a little bit more, even further than the VVD on migration, on Euroscepticism, on these issues. So I think that's very one very important group and now I think I think the split between forum and a group like Yes21 really represents that where at least the Yes21 people are saying we don't want anything to do with some of the more extreme elements in the party like the Forum for Democracy. So let's dive a bit deeper into uh, the two parties uh, on the right wing that are in parliament right now. So Forum for Democracy and the PVV. Um, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of controversies and I think we, we need to discuss them. But let's have a look first at what their core beliefs are and, and how these parties were founded um, and also what their influence is. Because, because I think, you know, we've had this talk in the past where we presented uh, basically there are only two possible outcomes of the, these elections when it comes to the coalition. So there's either a purple plus coalition or the current care, uh, caretaker government is going to continue uh, with that coalition. So with uh, the liberal parties and then uh, two Christian parties. But the PVV is, is likely to come out as, as the second largest party of this country, yet we have excluded them in all of the possible coalition outcomes. And um, could you briefly explain why this is again? Yes, absolutely. So um, I think the term that is often used for this, which is a, a French term that so might be, or is a cordon sanitaire, uh, which is essentially means that the other parties more or less have an informal agreement not to enter uh, into government with uh, the PVV of Geert Wilders. So they're often excluded. There was one moment, of course, in recent history that this was tried, um, in which the uh, parties, the CDA and the VVD, entered into government with the support of of the PVV. Um, but this 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 turned out rather uh, quickly not to work, um, and this government collapsed. And ever since, the PVV has never been a credible contender for entering into government. So unless the PVV comes out as the biggest party and becomes too big to ignore, there is no realistic way that they will become part of a coalition. And I mean that that I think I do think that that is also the main reason why we can be so confident about um, presenting to you these other like 
two possible coalition outcomes because there is one big party that fills in a massive gap into the Dutch political spectrum that can probably get 20 to maybe even 30 uh, seats uh, but will be ignored. So there aren't that many other opportunities to get to that magical number of 76. So in a way, I'd say that um, the, the fact that we have the PVV in the parliament it made Dutch politics quite predictable. Exactly, because it just narrows the amount of options that you have just because yeah, getting to, to that number, uh, there is only so many paths that you can take if, if, if that amount of voters or that amount of seats are just taken out of the equation. Yeah, but I do feel that the PVV has had a lot of political influence over the past years. And I think this is mainly because they um, they detected a certain voter or a certain uh, dissatisfaction amongst certain segments of society in Dutch politics, and they managed to actively address that and thereby also, you know, gathering these voters. And I feel that a lot of a lot of other parties, mainly in the center of the political spectrum, also tr- copied some of these party programs of the PVV. I, I think so, definitely. I, I, I also think parties like the VVD, uh, CDA at some points in their history, have also tried to answer this question for themselves. How do we get these voters um, on board? Um, and usually their, their answer has been to take some ideas from the PVV and try to adopt them as their own, mainly very populist uh, ideas, I would say. So, yeah, so when we look at these ideas that uh, are dominant on the right wing of the Dutch political spectrum, I think that um, there is a clear focus on Euroscepticism, yeah. uh, anti-migration, and perhaps more of an internal like domestic debate amongst what are what is our culture, what is the Dutch culture, yeah. and values... Uh, like what is a Dutch tradition? What kind of celebrations do we consider core to of of the Dutch uh, society, yeah. part of Dutch culture? And combined with that, to add one final ingredient in the mix is, I think, skepticism of of the elite and how the country is run more generally. Whether politicians are in touch with with the voters' needs, um, and that combined with 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 discussions about should there be more direct democracy in the form of referenda. Um, and these elements as well. So I think these are all ingredients that have been been brought into Dutch politics where they weren't so much part of the debate uh, before. Which is interesting because Geert Wilders himself can also be considered to be part of this uh, political elite because he has been he has been a member of parliament for twenty two years now. Yeah, yeah, he's he's one of the longest serving uh, Dutch politicians uh, at this point. So. I think a few things that we need to mention about him. So, of course, like I think that abroad he's mainly known for um, his rhetoric, his uh, and his, his famous uh, trademark uh, haircuts. But he started off in the VVD, where he was actually the mentor of current Prime Minister Mark Rutte. He was the one who showed him how to uh, how to draw motions, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, emotions, yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, drafting bills. Um so, yeah, they, they started off as actually knowing each other quite well. Um, and he is also, so when he started his own party, and of course with uh, the tragic uh, events uh, leading to the assassination of Pim Fortuyn in, in Mainz, uh, Geert Wilders has been under constant uh, protection and surveillance for a very long time now. He has, uh, in order for him to uh, voice his opinion in parliament, 
he has given up a lot of freedom. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, on some level, uh, perhaps um, it is there. There's an extra injustice there because of the fact that despite all the personal sacrifices that this man made, regardless of what you think of his opinions. He hasn't really been able to affect Dutch politics to that extent because of being in opposition and no one wants to work with them. And then even even more so that from 2017 on, a new uh, party entered the scene, which has been drawing quite a lot of support away from him again as well. Yeah, so um, that is a, that is the moment that Forum for Democracy of Thierry Baudet entered the political arena. Um, and... This must have been something that triggered you a bit as a Brussels man, Casper, uh, because both of these parties seem to have emerged uh, or at least seem to have gained a lot of seats, in particular around uh, a treaty about the EU. Yeah, this occurred to me as well, and it hadn't before, but it is interesting to see that obviously Geert Wilders came to prominence around the time that there was a referendum in the Netherlands on a European constitution, which later turned into the Lisbon Treaty. Um, and then Thierry Baudet, um, essentially his whole political existence is, is in thanks to um, the situation surrounding, surrounding uh, um, a referendum on a Ukraine association agreement. Right, because that was in 2017, I believe, that we had that referendum on that. And that was, I think it was also a bit of a weird one because... Uh, it wasn't like it was a non-binding referendum yeah. and it was uh, I think there was this sort of anti-EU lobby group who already stated beforehand like okay we're just going to use this binding referendum to hold a, hold a referendum on any EU topic uh, oh and yeah they, they even they, they've admitted that this themselves as well they've said that we're just looking for the agenda the first thing uh, not just you know if it concerns an EU topic but where, one where we know that the Dutch parliament because they, you know, they, they've expedited this to the European Union, can't really effectively change the outcome. Even if we vote no, we're just going to do that one to force a sort of problematic outcome. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, in the end, the vote was no. Yeah. Um, and then the government just had to say like, OK, well, but this was never really up to us yeah. uh, to make a decision yeah. on this. So we can't really do anything yeah. Uh, with this, uh, mm. yeah, with this advice, because it was like an advisory sort of referendum, exactly. like it wasn't binding. It, was, it wasn't a non-binding referendum, and also, yeah, it's a bad look. Even though association agreements, all member states of the EU have decided to give that power to 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 make these sort of agreements to the European Commission. Um, so this was already, in a way, democratically decided. But it was a bad look for the Dutch government that I have to say is like, well, actually. You know, disregarding what the Dutch people voted for, we can't change uh, whether or not this agreement is is uh, being made or not. And then uh, th this was the moment for Thierry Baudet to uh, to transfer his sort of think tank forum for democracy uh, into, despite that he always said, I'm not going to form a political party. He, he changed it into a political party. Uh, so then all of a sudden we had two parties. Exactly. Um, yeah. But Forum for Democracy seems, or for some time, seemed to be actually a proper alternative on the right wing for uh, the PVV. And I think that mainly had to, had to do with style rather than, I'd say, with directly with... Uh, <laughs> With points in a party program, this is this is I think uh, definitely key here because um, the PVV is sometimes seen to be a party of the working class of of um, yeah of of, of of lower educated white workers, 
um, quite clearly the forum attraction was to be some sort of young intellectual movement in you know between quotation marks um, with an appeal of that's that's not akin just vaguely being part of the sort of alt right uh, movement. Yeah, but I've, I, I do see some similarities there with uh, the style of Pim for Town as well, which was also a lot of. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, of course, this is a hard thing to to really. Uh, well, it's hard to define when someone is trying to come over as representing intellectualists, uh, because yeah. then, like, how are you going to base that on based on the way that someone talks? Yeah. But uh, when someone does his first speech in Parliament in Latin, I would consider that. Yeah, that is trying yeah. to be to no, come exactly. across that's, as intellectual. That's a good. That's a good sign. And, and yes, in fact, he did give his maiden speech in Parliament in Latin, not correct Latin. That's a bit of a shame, but uh, <laughs> you know, appropriate. It was a bit. Uh, it was a bit yeah. Monty Python. Uh, Romans go home, but he did do it in Latin. Yeah, and this this sort of flamboyant style in the beginning actually seemed to quite work for him. They were very much on course to become. I think one of the big parties, or at least that was feared that they would become one of the bigger parties in the country. Um, but then their fortunes changed. Yeah, and, and this is mainly controversies that were caused by... Um, well, you know, we don't want to get into gossips, of course. Uh, <laughs> this is not a, a gossip uh, podcast. Uh, but there has been a lot of uh, rumors on yeah. uh, on on the the leading, like the the style of of Cherry Baudet as a leader of his party and um, uh, anti-Semitic um, chats that have been going on in, in WhatsApp groups. Um, the, the youth wing of the party being uh, accused of being anti-Semitic, uh, and um, I would go further than than calling some of these rumors. By the way, I think it's pretty well attested at this point that um, not just this kind of anti-Semitic, uh, but also just just racist, sexist, racist um, and sexist language yeah. is is rife. Um, and then obviously, not only just in youth members, but also actual members running for government. Um, this is on the record. And Thierry Baudet himself, who did some very uh, dubious um, statements being on record saying that he thinks women should stay at home or that certain certain ethnic groups are less intelligent than others. So I think there's definitely enough concrete evidence here to to make that case. But And, and, and he says yeah. that these are things like these are jokes that have been made yeah. in, in private conversations yeah. and therefore, you know, should also be treated in that way, of course. Exactly. Um, and but, I think, yeah. but I think another topic that is also worth mentioning is... The flirting, like the, the flirt of Forum for Democracy with the alt right movements. Yeah. So, uh, this all, you know, sort of fits in this broader uh, anti COVID protest. And, and also, I think you can see this. Well, I think you can compare this to the sort of Liz Cheney versus uh, the, the, the Taylor Green um, in, in the US, in the Republican Party of the US sort of clash, where, you know, you have this on the one hand, you have this right wing conservative movement that is now being faced with uh, all of a sudden their party is being joined or is attracting this alt-right movement, like the sort of online troll uh, army. Yeah. And and this is that something that at least yeah. the the people who split off for Forum for Democracy are accusing Thierry about that of, that he is flirting yeah. with that movement, with that alt-right online yeah. troll army movement. Exactly. And I think it's pretty interesting in, in that way is I think that's a pretty apt analogy for placing them because I think 
weirdly where the you know the Trump alt right movement within the Repu- American Republican Party is a radical sort of offshoot within the larger Republican Party. I think yes, twenty one you can easily frame them as being more of the traditional Republican Party that sort of jumped ship from the I would say the more alt right mothership of the Forum for Democracy. So it's always the other <laughs> way around, right? Well. Uh, um, well, I see where you're coming from, but then uh, at the same time, if you look at the leadership of uh, Yes Twenty One, uh, that is this, it's almost old guard right wing yeah. because it's a former member of parliament who was a member of parliament uh, for uh, Pim Fortuyn for his party. Yes, exactly. Day, yeah, so. yeah. So uh, that's 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 one more point of evidence of how important this legacy is. I think is that Joost Eertmans, who is the leader of Yes Twenty One, um, is an old guard Pim Fortuyn uh, acolyte. Uh, so to say. So that legacy is definitely still in some sense alive in this party um, running, provided that they make it into into the chamber, because we don't know yet. They're a new party and they may not. So then I think it's only fair that we dig into some of the controversies of the PVV as well. And let's face it, they have a ton Yeah, yeah. Where to start? Um, yeah. I mean, I, it, I think it's... it's it, this seems to be a problem on the right wing. And, and yeah. if you start a new party, then you're always going to, you know, it's going to be hard to attract people who, who want to be like honest uh, and devoted politicians. So the PVV has been struggling with yeah. that a bit as well in the past. Uh, and there, there's, of course, some serious uh, controversies, but there's also some that, that I found exactly. hilarious. It is very apparent that, that some of the people that have been attracted to this party and have been active for this party are insane i mean <laughs> i mean i'm talking about you know just just multiple just straight up criminals um there was a guy i think that was sanctioned because he threatened a bunch of people and then peed in someone's mailbox i think uh that was uh <laughs> well, i'm, I'm not sure one. if they proved that but he was uh, notoriously terrorizing his neighborhood uh, yeah yeah um, exactly there were uh, yeah, and then there's of course like this this guy who who later uh, split off from the PVV to found his own party. But PVV notoriously being an anti-Islamic party, um, uh, yeah. one of the former uh, MPs later became a Muslim himself, yeah. and he was their spokesperson too. Like he was, he was one <laughs> oh, of was the main he? rhetorical people. Was yeah, he? no, no, he was. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he had given numerous speeches about the problems of Islam, and he was actually <laughs> writing a book about the problem of Islam in society. And when he said himself that while writing the book, he started reading up on the Islam and discovered that actually this was his true religion, <laughs> not the... So, yeah, no, what to uh, what to make of it. And then there's obviously some more, I would say, sinister uh, controversies as well, one of which we're in the midst of, because this is very hot of the press, so not all the details are there yet, but Dion Graus, which is also uh, one of the long-standing members of of uh, the PVV now stories are emerging that for years he essentially prostituted his wife uh to pay for uh off the books security uh services and um that's obviously veering into much more of the darker uh side of of controversies but yeah all in all I think it's fair to say that the parliamentarians that have been attracted to the PVV are not um top notch let's say yeah yeah, and then um, let's dive into the controversies of uh, of the things that they've said that the PVV themselves have said or proposals that they came up with. So I think uh, uh, an important one to mention here is that they propose to have a tax on people wearing a headscarf. 
Um, and the the main controversy with that was the way that they called it, the way that they labeled yeah. it, because they labeled it something like head rag. Yeah, like, like some yeah. very very demeaning word for for a burqa or a niqab. It was. Uh, um, yeah, no, and and yeah. they have a habit of they they have a habit of that as well. I think the language that the PVV uses and that Geert Wilders uses is 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 an element of of this. They always just manage to find the most crude ways of describing uh, describing things. Yeah, just, so they yeah. so they had this. Um, they made this platform like this online platform where you could report on like Polish troublemakers. Like, how would you call that? Like. Yeah, like a hotline, I guess it was for if there was nuisance or disturbance caused by Polish people in your neighborhood, which yeah, well, just, in particular Eastern Europeans, yeah. but but specifically yeah. labeled as as Polish trouble. Oh yeah, that's that's they're not known for nuance. So Polish was in this case meant just anyone vaguely from Eastern Europe that caused you any trouble, you uh, you called the hotline, which yeah. And then I think the most notorious and probably well known uh, controversy was obviously when. Um, Geert Wilders, and I think he got into this is the this is the case in, that led to a long legal struggle uh, of him being uh, on trial for this as well. Is in a victory speech um, in a bar um, in the Hague next to the Parliament, um, rhetorically asking his uh, his followers, his supporters, whether or not they wanted more or fewer Moroccans in the country and getting his supporters to 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 chant fewer 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 so yeah he was he was being accused of uh, hate speech and yeah. i think he was also uh, i don't know how the court ended actually yeah in the end he was uh, convicted of of insulting a group but he was not punished for it so it was it was more of a symbolic um sentence in that in that way right so, to conclude, I think we can say that the dynamics that were initially introduced by Pim Fortuyn into Dutch politics are here to stay. And the parties that are now um, still make, a, make up a prominent part of, of the Dutch political landscape are a fixture and will probably, you know, be around here long term. Yeah, I don't see topics like um, Islamization, migration, like I don't think that these debates will disappear anytime soon so uh, yeah. and your skepticism of course so exactly. there is enough <laughs> there's enough foundation for these right-wing parties to yeah. uh yeah, yeah to stay um but you know what i do find interesting uh and i think is interesting uh, interesting thing to take out of this episode is that uh pim for time was able to rally the entire right wing behind him and um if you look at the right wing now there's two major well yeah there's still two major sort of uh, uh, yeah, parties or wings. So that's Forum for Democracy on the one hand. That's sort of caving towards the uh, well, middle class, upper middle class voter. And then you have the PVV of Geert Wilders, who is yeah clearly focused on uh, the working class voter and is also on some topics even closer to uh, to the Socialist Party. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's sometimes he's more populist than necessarily right wing. Exactly, and I. I think it will take um, some doing to ever combine these two very distinct voter groups ever to rally them around the banner again. So I think going forward, there will always be, on the one hand, a more labor socialist populist wing and uh, a party or attempts to form a party that are more around um, conservative liberalism, if you will. Um, but if we look at the right wing, 
you know, I also think that should be the main conclusion of today is that it doesn't really matter how well they do till they become too big to ignore. Yeah. And right now they're not. So the other parties will ignore them. There, there is this cordon sanitaire, and because they, because these parties are so far outside of the Dutch social liberal consensus, the parties that are within that Dutch social liberal consensus also state that they are not going to enter a government with either Form for Democracy or the PVV, and that is not going to change. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. For now, I think this is the last one where we dive into the political parties in depth. Um, instead, next week we'll be heading into the Dutch countryside and take a look at the political dynamics in the different regions of the Netherlands and see how they are represented over in The Hague. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Poldercast, the Dutch politics podcast. If you have any questions, comments or recommendations, you can reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter or just by sending us an email. If you don't want to miss a thing, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or any other podcast listening platforms and leave a review. That will help us a lot. Till next week. 